welcome to Can Queer, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. And I'm Sebastian. Okay, well, we are home to Canada's queer media, mm-hmm. and uh, we talk about gay things. Yes. All of the gay things, yes, all yes, of yes. the time, and uh, Canada as a whole. There is a very contentious story out of Saskatchewan, uh, which has, you know, really national ramifications. Mm-hmm. We will get back, we'll get into that, honestly, at the end of the show, because, frankly, it's a lot, mm-hmm. and I don't want to dive into it straight away. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, let's start off with just, uh, we'll get the, the easy breezy ones out of the way. Uh, mm-hmm. Uganda has uh, been introduced to consequences. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. So famously, we were reporting last uh, over the last couple of months that Uganda has introduced what is now one of the world's most horrific anti-gay laws, uh, which includes the death penalty for aggravated homosexuality. Mm-hmm. I identify as an aggravated homosexual. Um, but well, to be fair, oh, not to be fair, but like to, to contextualize it, uh, there are several countries that have something similar. The difference here is that if you know somebody is homosexual and you don't turn them in, you are a accessory. Yeah, to the homosexual. They did yeah. withdraw that bit of the that bit of the law. Uh, with hesitation, though. Yeah, yeah. So it was, they were going for one of the most draconian... It's the most anti-gay law in the books anywhere. Possibly in history. Like, we're, we're talking about, like, Spanish Inquisition level of, of weird, deeply unconstitutional... Actually, even by Uganda's own constitutional, it was declared unconstitutional to go quite that far. But deeply unfair, deeply unjust, deeply just un... Take any positive word in the world. And put the un on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah or yeah, non, yeah. depending on the, the syntax. And you're 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 basically there. Well anyway, the World Bank has decided that as an organization sort of, you know, run in tandem with the United Nations mm-hmm. and their mottos of, you know, um, I can't remember. I think it's the Marines that's no one's left behind, mm-hmm. but uh, they have a similar motto right now in terms of like everyone move forward or everyone involved or whatever it is. It's very egalitarian. Rising tide lifts all ships. Yeah, yeah. Of, For okay. a bank, it's like this seems a little. <laughs> the bank is not a for profit bank, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, but and they're well, they also can't function at a deficit. But they're they're not. They're, yeah. It's not the same as mm-hmm. a, a for-profit bank. They are also massively funded by major economic powers, yeah. nearly all of whom have gone whoa, Uganda. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's weird that now people don't want to give them their money. Mm-hmm. And that's that's it. folks in Uganda have said, look, you're punishing all Ugandans for these political decisions, mm-hmm. these laws that are introduced, mm-hmm. uh, I would counter that with Ugandans voted these people in. Mm-hmm. They voted for Museveni. Um, I believe he actually recently re-won an election. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, no, they came with these laws in mind. Mm-hmm. The rest of the world doesn't have to play along. Yeah. Well, Uganda also has the standard distribution problem. So I've, I've watched quite a few... Uh, documentaries and reports and news uh, segments on Uganda, they have the same issue that a lot of the world has where they have enough clean water, power, and food to comfortably keep their nation alive. Uh, There's just a distribution problem where not all the water is getting to the right people, not all the food is getting to the right people, not all the power is being distributed fairly. So they 
strictly speaking, uh, benefit a great deal from external help, but what they really need is to just sort of reformat their own country. They don't need between very strong quotation marks that that help, even though, I mean, it's one thing to say that they could redistribute everything and, and sort of fix their their uh, distribution chains, their their power grid, their housing, whatever, and fix it. But they're they're not doing that. So mm-hmm. the aid is needed because they're not doing that. But I don't know if you're in a, a case like that where the external help is only needed because your government is too corrupt. Um, then you just run into the same problem of if you do give them aid, how much of that aid is getting into the hands of the people who need it the most anyway? They're a corrupt government. It's probably not getting into the hands of the people who need it the most. At least not if you're leaving it up to the government to distribute the the goods. Um, I, I mean the the one the one exception is medicine. Uh, there are certain medicines that are very hard to make on an industrial scale uh, unless it's centralized by like. Yeah. You know. Exactly. Uh, that's the one thing that I, I'm, I am very concerned about is the sort of cutting off the supply lines of certain medicines. Uh, but other than that, I think, I don't know. But this isn't cutting off supply lines of medicines. This is not giving them more loans. Well, but some of that is used towards investment into healthcare. Well, you know, I'm sure that the government in the 70s... Um, or I should say know, on paper, it's to... Yeah. In reality, it's probably buying cars and swimming pools. Uh, well, we were talking before about the ties between the evangelist church in the United States mm. and the growing evangelism in, in Uganda and, yep. in, and in other West African countries. Mm-hmm. Um Oh, in West East. African, uh, East African countries. <laughs> Sorry, but I got my map mixed up there for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's strong, strong links, very strong links, mm-hmm. you know. And there's a lot of money that moves from the United States to to these countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now that they've achieved their objective of creating the most homophobic laws in the world, mm-hmm. it'll be curious to see whether or not that money still flows, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. or are they going to move on to the next. Uh, target mm. for evangelizing even the german witch hunts they wouldn't put you to death or imprison you for failing to snitch on a witch which didn't exist nor did werewolves but there were still the witch witch yeah exactly uh so it, it is it's really up there as incredibly high level one of the worst in history uh so i mean you know they found out as the expression goes Yes, <laughs> they're in their find out, find out era yeah. um, of what happened there. Uh, in other news, the Indian Supreme Court, uh, there have been multiple cases uh, before the Indian Supreme Court, mm-hmm. and uh, really it's the gay marriage debate. Okay. Now, the Indian Supreme Court, it was, people were like, this law mm-hmm. from 1958, mm-hmm. the, the special marriages law, which allowed for marriage... Between castes, okay. uh, folks are sort of vaguely familiar, I think, with that the caste system in mm-hmm. in, in India, um, and uh, other types of marriages. That was from 1958, and okay. their argument is that that was a really it's between two people and not specific to sex. So that got challenged. It's been challenged multiple, multiple times. It went all the way to the Supreme Court again, and this time the Supreme Court has gone. Look, yeah, this law is most likely unconstitutional Mm -hmm. it's it's not it's not just it's not fair it's not equal um but we don't legislate 
The government does not legislate. No, no, the Supreme Court. Oh, okay. so the, that, that's what. It, that's essentially what they said. They said, "Look, yeah, we agree. Yeah, it it's not equal. It's not fair. It's not in line with other parts of the Constitution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're not. You know, this is an obligation that needs to be picked up by the legislative plan, uh, legislative." branch Mm -hmm. of the Indian government, um, which really, I think, puts the kibosh on any kind of rights development through the courts Uh, uh, in India. They don't do the thing that a lot, but not all countries do, where the courts can't make laws, but they can veto laws that they declare unconstitutional. Mm -hmm. They can't do that? Well, they've chosen not to. Oh. That's what they're. That's what they're saying. They're like, you know, that's what I think people were sort of hoping for is that maybe the law gets struck down, or the elements that say it has to be man and woman get struck down. That's or that a very they... Commonwealth thing, though, to say like the, the courts don't make laws, but if they find a law that is declared unconstitutional or against some guiding print, some mm-hmm. kind of like Magna Carta type of of Carta, not Carter, uh, principle that they can they can just say try again. You know the we understand what you're trying to do, but the phrasing's bad. You got to try again, and that yeah. that is very. Uh, I I keep saying Commonwealth, but like it's sort of it's from the parliamentary system. Yeah, 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 sure. yeah. And I think you know I get it. The Supreme Court of India here is going. Look, this is not our ball game. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. The current law is not just, and you're right. A lot of people were expecting them to strike it down and, and essentially introduce equal marriage mm-hmm. via court action. Uh, but the courts have decided to just sidestep and go, no, mm. no, no. Like it, and, and I think that's, that puts the kibosh on it going any further via the courts. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's gone all the way to the top. I mean, this is one of those things. Cause I, I mean, when each of the Commonwealth countries went through this, uh, they all had slightly different approaches, but there, there was that conversation of, um, the courts can veto a law that prevents you from having same-sex marriage, mm-hmm. but they cannot introduce a new law that permits it. So if the elected government, uh, the legislative branch, um, elects to have a, a law that prevents it, then the courts can shoot it down. And they can encourage the government to put in a law that allows it, but they can't create it themselves. And I think Canada went with the road of the courts just basically said, fair's fair, let it happen. And I remember, I remember there, the people in the government, the, the sort of, you know, the electorate were, you know, what are you doing? That's our job to do that. Yeah. And then I think it was Australia where the courts just told the, um, the House of Commons, like, make a law. You know, that it should be fair. You should make that law. Um, there's different approaches. Uh, I do think, you know, there is that division of labor when it comes to governing the country. And I think it's totally fair to say that's not our lane. We're going to step out of it. But I also think it's fair to say, by the way, the experts on our team look at the experts on your team and we question the experts on your mm. team and we think you might be doing it wrong. I also think that's completely fair. It's the difference between, you know, power and influence. The courts should wield their influence, mm-hmm. but should they wield their power? I'm you know, a little bit more hesitant to say that. I think I, one of the, you know, one of the elements I, I quite like about the Canadian justice system, and there was actually a, a decision quite recently where the government can just pose questions to the Supreme Court 
Like, so, uh, you know, if we did this, hypothetically, yeah. hypothetically speaking, mm-hmm. hypothetically speaking, guy walks in the bar and he does this, mm. what would happen? And then they give their informed opinions, um, which I think just saves the government the rigmarole of making a law that then gets challenged and then gets shut down. You know what I mean? Like, they, they like, uh, test the waters for constitutionality. Um, before going through the process of making laws, I think it's a, I think it's a fantastic mechanism of the Canadian legal system. Isn't that supposed to be the job of the Senate and the Minister of Justice? No, the jo- well, the Minister of Justice com- checks for compliance with existing laws. The job of the Senate is uh, sort of informed opinion. It's sober second thought. But sometimes there are. It's not often, but sometimes questions are posed to the court themselves, being okay. like. Where could this stand? You know what I mean? If they're not maybe super convinced. Mm. Civics. The more you know. <laughs> um, now, the speaking of law and justice, the law and justice party of Poland. You oh, may yes. Yes. You may remember this party as the one that uh, really gave free reign to the LGBT free zones okay. in Poland. Mm-hmm. Um which uh, they discovered in their find-out era that uh, you don't get bucket loads of EU money when you are bigots. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, the the courts were... were, uh, Basically, they... Several courts shot them down. Several courts shot them down. Poland is kind of the mirror of Canada where they've got like one or two left-leaning parties and then a rainbow of right-leaning parties. Um, And it was... The law and justice one is the big one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But... Other right-leaning conservative parties in Poland said to them, that's a bit much, mate. Where they're basically like, you want to be homophobic? That's fine. We agree with you. Do it as a hobby. Don't put mm-hmm. it into the laws. And uh, which is always interesting when you see that that sort of conservative like, yes, but is that our job as the government to do that? Or should you just do that on your own time? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, that was that was the approach of the, the courts in Poland. Like, you want to be homophobic? Have at it. There's no law against that. But you cannot prevent people from, like, going into a grocery store. Like, yeah. So yeah. It, it was it was a weird and interesting debate to see. Well, I mean, it wasn't just the Polish courts. You know, yeah. several decisions by, uh, I think it's Erdogan um, in in Poland. You know, he got challenged. No, Erdogan's Turkey. Erdogan is Turkey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who is Poland, then? Uh, well, oh, it's going to come to uh, I can't remember his name. The, the president of, of Hungary... Next door, Hungary is also famously conservative, said to Poland, like, what are you doing, buddy? Like, that that's a bit much. So, yeah, the, the whole thing with Poland, um, I don't know, the history of it is going back about seven, eight years now. They've been going through this back and forth with um, whether or not they can make being gay illegal. Uh, and even then, I, I don't necessarily think they were ever going to go down the Ugandan road of just making it illegal. I think what they wanted to do was contain it in the cities where they're like, yeah, you go to a major urban center, you go to sort of a B tier city, you're going to have gays there. It's part of living in the city, but not the countryside. The countryside must be kept pure. Mm-hmm. Um, that really kind of was the angle that they were taking of, of just sort of like corralling everyone into urban centers where they can just do their thing down back alleys and and not sully the pristine uh, 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 countryside, um, also known as mud in the spring. Um, yeah. But 
So, sorry, it's it's Andrzej Duda. I forgot that's what his name was. Mm. Um, I had to Google it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no. So, in Poland, uh, they had an election recently, and the Law and Justice Party have lost their majority. Mm-hmm. Now, there is maybe a bit of a chance. Uh, nobody got more seats than them. No single party got more seats than the Law and Justice Party, as far as I can recall. Um, But uh, Tusk, you may recognize the name. He was the former, uh, I think, president of the European Council, maybe, or the European Union. Um, He is Polish, and uh, he was running for one of the parties. They're going to team up with some of the other left-leaning parties, uh, and it looks like Law and Justice in Poland's uh, um, rule um, is coming to a bit of an end. Okay. So, yeah, we'll, it'll be interesting to see. Because it was very much... Um, it was very much seen as the sort of ugly stepsister of Europe. You know, whenever <laughs> Europe is trying to do some nice big laws mm. or engage or have, you know, equal rights, Poland was like, oh, we'll take your money, but we're not going to play fair. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And uh, the EU was not a big fan of that. So we'll see how it goes. And I love how a lot of the neighboring countries are like, look, Poland, if you want to do things in your own Polish way, that's fine. You're free to be Polish. We're not going to stop you from doing that. Mm-hmm. But if you're not going to play by EU rules, you don't get to join the EU club. You don't get the EU money. Yeah. Absolutely. It's always the the EU money that bubbles up to the top. All right. Well, we're going to play our first track. This is The Archer by Clara Cloud. That's The Archer by Clara Cloud. And we'll be back just... Are you dabbing? How dare you? <laughs> I'm like, no, no. I'm going to, I'm going to pause the song. But you, you were dabbing. No, dabbing is like this. That was... Now, yeah, no. It I, was, was, I was doing this. It was very dab. <laughs> it was very dab. Anyway, this is The Archer by Clara Cloud, and we'll be back just after this. It could be anywhere You said you wanted peace of mind That's more than I could bear But when I gave a peace of mind You took the lion's share Hold me down My head's too light to stay upon the ground Help me stay I'm far too tired of being swept away Instead of roots From my chest and bury it beneath Cut the string, those scissors break The sky tells me to leave So we'll take cover under trees This twisted hide and seek Cause when you wanted peace of mind You took a piece of me
Hello and welcome back to Cancria, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. I am Sebastian. And during that musical uh, musical selection, we had quite the debate and discussion as to whether or not Sebastian did in fact dab. I maintain that I didn't. Also, sometimes I get accused of dabbing when I do this, but that is the Macho Man Randy Savage. No, that's the Usain Bolt, isn't it? Isn't didn't he do that one? No, no, that was more like this. Oh, okay. There's a lot of left arm up, right arm hooking in some way parallel to the left. Well, yeah, arm. if you don't hook your other arm, it's just a Nazi salute. Well, yeah, well, and 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 then if if you do like this, and you have to dip your head down because the dab, Otherwise, you have to it, dip your head down. It's the head dip. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Otherwise, it's something else. Yeah. All right, you're right. You're right. Maybe you didn't dab, but it was <laughs> it was very suspiciously close to dabbing. Um, and for the audience's sake, I do weird stuff like that all the time. I just get, I don't know, a little ADD and I just do stuff. And Luke usually just ignores me and acknowledges that I'm patting my own tummy for some reason. Yeah. Or something. Or currently I'm wrapped up in a blanket. You know, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll wear it like a cape and just walk around the room and he'll just... Yeah. Ignore yeah. It. It, it, it. These are just behaviors that but check out. The the the... It could have been a dab really got you for some reason. It did. I mean, you're better than this. You're better than this. You <laughs> but know? I didn't dab. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, all right, you Usain Bolt. All right. Okay. So I want to talk about bed. Okay. Uh, that is binge eating disorders. Okay. Yes. No, I, mean, I kind of sprung this on you. Yes, you did. Uh, I did. Yeah. So there was a new story that kind of got out. A couple of, uh, couple of things picking it up. Mm-hmm. Gay and bisexual adolescents are found to have twice mm-hmm. the risk of binge eating disorder compared to not gay and lesbian adolescents. Okay. Now, we earlier, there was another study I was looking at, and I was like, oh, this is an interesting study. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, we had an informal conversation with 10 people. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. And <laughs> um, it was like, no, 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 no. An informal conversation with 10 people is a house party. You know what I mean? It's it's a pilot study. It could be a narrative biographical study, but that's not a study study. Like you can't get you can't get a p value out of that. You, no. you can't get a decent r squared with a confidence rating of 0.01 or higher. Mm-hmm. Like that's not a study. I'm sorry, but it's it's this one is. It's what you do before you do a study, but so it's not a study. The researchers who are looking into binge eating disorders or bad, uh, I'd love to look into bed, Mm. Uh, they analyzed data from 10,197 adolescents between 10 and 14 years of age who were a part of the Adolescent Brain Cognitive Development Study. Okay. So, yeah, good numbers. Pretty good numbers, yeah. Pretty good numbers. Uh, So, yeah, binge eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Uh, is because I was a bit. Everyone's everyone can be. We've talked about this before. The uh, gay men have higher rates of bigorexia, mm-hmm. which is a body dysmorphia where they want to pack on more muscle. They want to be bigger, and it is you know, all of the all of the shakes and powders, and it's mm-hmm. and it's obsessive. It's it's a it's not just oh I want to put on a bit of weight. It's mm-hmm. it's an actual condition. Mm-hmm. Um, and then then of course anorexia and bulimia. We're not going to get too much into those. Mm-hmm. But binge eating disorders are a little bit different. So it is characterized by consuming unusually large amounts of food and feeling that you can't stop eating it. Mm-hmm. I think binge drinking 
Because <laughs> okay. like every when we think binge drinking, like, oh, you know, maybe you'll have one or two glasses of wine. But if you're binge drinking, mm-hmm. you're like, okay, I'm going to have one or two boxes of wine mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, very different volumes. There are also various health conditions that shut off your satiation um, function. So it doesn't matter what you eat, you're still hungry. Uh, that's unrelated though. I think they're, they're not, I mean, they're not diabetes, but they're related to diabetes because it is the pancreas, I think, that, where, where it's often disordered. But, um, I do know that, that this is, it's one of those things like depression is a problem, but depression is also a symptom of other problems. Mm. And sometimes you fix the other problem, the, the, the depression evaporates. So binge eating is a problem, but it's also a symptom of other problems where you deal with the other problems and then the binge eating evaporates. So it's, I don't know, it's filing under complicated. It is the most common food disorder in the United States. Really? Binge eating. Absolutely. Well, when you think about how anorexia, bulimia, and bigorexia are sort of more extreme versions, Mm, this is more like your common cold of um, eating disorders. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, not good. Mm. Nobody opts for getting a bad cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, we're all over here studying cancer, but lots of people are getting the cold. You know what I mean? Unless you're licking doorknobs. Yeah, don't lick doorknobs mm. or ice cream tubs. Like that, like in the shops. Mm. We were talking about that yesterday. Mm. Um, anyway, they also found that adolescent boys were 28% more likely to be binge eating compared to adolescent girls. Okay, okay. And I think this speaks to that uh, that bulking up, the muscularity goals that folks have, you know, got to be bigger and buffer. You know, when we think about... Um, I mean, it know, could also be comfort binging. I'm willing to mm, bet that there's a multiple... There's multiple sources of this because it sometimes it's not about the results, it's about the process, and sometimes it isn't about the process, it is about the results. So... Um, like if you're self-conscious about being skinny, then, cause I've met people who said I'd rather be fat than skinny. So they, they, they eat and they eat and they eat and they eat. They'd rather be fit. They'd rather be sort of, you know, medium build, but maybe they just don't put on weight in a certain way. So they do engage in binge eating cause they'd rather be fat than skinny. Um, and then other times it's not about the outcomes and they don't like the outcomes. It's more about those, those, uh, that, that sort of comfort binging that they get as sort of an alternative to substance abuse or other kinds of, I don't know, self-harm or something. It's, again, file it under complicated. Absolutely. Mm. Um, So this one has your confidence intervals, your CI values, the AOR values, and and what have you. It's it's got all of them. Uh, But yeah, they found that, uh, generally speaking, uh, lower-income households had a much higher rate of Mm. binge eating disorders. Um, In in this, it was a U.S. study, uh, indigenous uh, adolescents had a higher rate of binge eating disorders. Mm -hmm. Uh, LGBT folks had a higher rate of binge eating disorders. And, uh, of course, young boys disproportionately more likely than young girls. Is it compound? Like, if you're a... 13-year-old indigenous bisexual boy, does it compound up to make you the most likely or... or? I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think that they were, they from what I can see here, they were talking about how it... Uh, it interacts. How, yeah, exactly. Okay. 
So they reckon that bed, binge eating disorder, affects about 3 to 5% of the U.S. population, which is a huge amount. Okay. Um, however, they reckon that only about 11, well, really it's about 12%, 11.9% um, of adolescents actually seek any kind of clinical care. Mm-hmm. So put another way... We know that young LGBT folks disproportionately more likely to have binge eating disorder. We know low income more likely to have binge eating disorder. But we also know that nine out of ten of them are not asking for help. Okay. That's pretty shocking. Is it because they don't think there's a problem? Because that is a common issue as well. Like when a, a, a certain population or demographic has high rates of a problem, if it's ubiquitous enough, they don't see it as a problem because everyone they know also has that problem. Or or maybe not everyone they know, but if half of your friends have the same problem, then you're just like, well, I guess it's it's sort of normalized. It doesn't occur to you that maybe this is something you could ask for help for. Like, like quitting smoking. Uh, it took my mother, I think, like six attempts to quit smoking. And as society... Um, we don't really stigmatize it per se, but as we discouraged smoking more and more, as she had fewer friends who were smoking, and as there were more barriers to smoking, and as it was less socially acceptable over time, it became easier to quit. Yeah. Because it was less normalized. Exactly. As opposed to when she started smoking, I think she was like, I think she told me she was 12 when she started smoking, because when she was a kid, that was normal. So it, it's. I wonder if, if that's. A factor probably is a factor. But how much of a factor is it? Yeah. I guess is the the real question. You know, we were. Yeah, no. It. Um, the, the, it seems to be that um, binge eating disorder is more closely tied to bulking up. Okay. So having cheat meals, which mm. for me is just engaging engaging in hobbitism. Mm. Like that's really what that is. Mm-hmm. Like your elevencies, your. Your second breakfasts, you know. <laughs> I didn't know what you were talking about when you said hobbitism. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah you know what I mean. It's third like, breakfast, yeah. Yeah, third, bre- <laughs> third, third breakfast is. Um, but yeah, no, it... Um, yeah, there's a lot of different things. I was trying to find the the definitions here to be able to... Uh, uh, to they're concerned that this particular disorder can lead to, and this might surprise you... Diabetes oh. and uh, metabolic syndromes, cardiovascular de- mm. uh, disease, mm-hmm. uh, elevated suicidality, mm. um, you know, and then of course it can cause other more extreme versions of. Um, and I'm willing to admit that binge eating is not exactly associated with binge eating on, you know, apples and kale. So. Uh, it could probably also, if you binge on like potato chips or whatever, then you're not eating, you're too full to eat the good stuff. So there's probably like downstream effects, like people are more likely to get like vitamin K deficiency or vitamin B deficiency or something. Uh, that would be my guess. Because I know that there's, there's things like this tend to have downstream effects that are not considered. Um, you'd probably be more likely to, to bulk up on... Like, if you're bulking up for muscle, then you'd be bulking up on, like, high-protein foods or something, at which point you're probably not getting enough dietary fiber, and then you're probably getting uh, lower GI tract problems because you're not getting enough fiber. Um, I don't know. It's There's always downstream effects. Uh, as, when it comes to food, downstream, of course, we're talking about poop. Yes. Um, yeah. Literally downstream. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean not, not a literal stream. 
Well, <laughs> metaphorical. If you ate Taco straight. Bell. Well, yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. no, it's, uh, yeah, agreed. So, yeah, it's interesting. I thought it was a neat take. Usually we see these, these ridiculous studies and we're like, gay people do this. And you're like, oh, do they? And then you find out it was four men in the room who mm-hmm. all had the same thought. And it's mm-hmm. like, we're not talking about the Kinsey scale here. We need a bit more evidence than, you know. Yeah. Than, than what the practice was uh, on that particular day. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other news, Canada's Drag Race uh, has announced their contestants. Now, we don't, we don't really report on Drag Race much because um, it is a little gossipy. I only watch it when you make me watch it, so I also have very little to say. We do, yeah, yeah. we do make you watch it, though. Because, yeah. you know, we do, we do watch it. Anyway, they've announced uh, a whole bunch of Keens. What I was saying before is Ottawa, yeah. yet again, punching above its weight when it comes to representation in... Uh, the yeah. LGBT community in, yeah. in drag. Like, re- two queens again mm-hmm. this season. I believe there's one or two last one. Isis Couture obviously won mm-hmm. uh, her season. Um, and for those who aren't aware, like, if, you, if you've never been to Ottawa, you might be thinking, like, okay, you look at the numbers, uh, 1.2 million people in the Ottawa oh, area. Oh, is it 0.2 now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Both sides of the river. If you're talking about Gatineau oh. and Ottawa. Yeah, Ottawa itself is one. And the surrounding countryside. Yeah. You're looking at about 1.2 million people. Yeah. Uh, nation's capital, blah, blah, blah. But really, you got to bear in mind, this is really just a small town that has it a lot is. of people in it. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just, imagine a suburb that goes over the horizon. Imagine like a country village. You know the kind of place where the downtown, all the buildings are made of stone? Mm-hmm. Imagine that, uh, except there's also one or two towers there. Uh, and that the area next to the downtown, the sort of new-ish suburb that, that sort of feeds into that downtown area, just imagine driving through that for about two hours. But That's Ottawa. Another way of putting it is we have all of these top shelf queens mm. going and competing. And yet there is only like two or three gay bars. If that. Okay, I think yeah. There might, only be, there mm. might only be two at the moment. Okay. There's a few anything goes bars. Like yeah. there's um there's the the karaoke bar Swizzles, mm-hmm. which oh, right. yes. yeah, technically yeah. not a gay bar, but they have a drag queen uh, hostess mm-hmm. who's in there often. To call that place a hole in the wall would be a very accurate description. It's a hole in a basement wall. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. But very friendly environment. It's a lovely yeah. place. It's a lovely uh, place. There, there's quite a few sort of anything goes bars where they're not really gay bars, but you go there and you look around the room, you're like, yeah, no, there's a lot of gays here. Mm. We have we have quite a few of those in Ottawa, but for dedicated gay bars that have like drag nights, yeah, you're right. Very short yeah. list. Not a huge amount of brunch options outside of hotels. I mean, for like drag brunch. Okay, I was going to say, hold your tongue. There's greasy spoons all over town. Yeah, no, we we have... But I wanted to bring it up on today's show because I want to talk about drag names. Now, I I know the house of... I'm just going to name a fashion house. Mm. The house of Chanel or Dior or De Luna or Mm. De Bill or whatever. You know, they are... There's loads of them. You know, I come from the drag house of blah de blah Mm -hmm. I'll give me... Give me a pun. That's what I look for okay. in, in a drag name. And there are some top shelf names competing. I don't know these queens, okay. but their names are fantastic. Mm. Uh, we've got uh, Miss Kitten, 
Kitten Caboodle, mm-hmm. uh, Kitten Caboodle uh, from Toronto. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's uh, she's competing. I'm very excited about that one. Uh, I wasn't I was not so fast on denim out of Montreal. Okay, um, but I don't like denim in general, so you know okay. that's also true. Okay. And then Nira, Nira out of uh, Calgary is competing. Competing. That's Nira Nuff. Mm-hmm. Last name Nuff, first name Nira, Nira Nuff out of Calgary. She's also competing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, give me give me novelty drag names like that's I think that's one of the where it's at. From uh, the Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, was named Felicia Jolly Goodfellow. <laughs> Felicia Jolly Goodfellow, <laughs> that is excellent. Yeah. Do you do? All right. Uh, in the other story of today, Pride House International, which is a non-profit that works to create the space at major uh, world events, think the Olympic Games, think the World Cup, mm-hmm. um, they are planning to be at all 16 cities at the North American World Cup in 2026. Um, they've already, I think, lined up, uh, I want to say like... Is that uh, golf? What is that? I don't know sports. Football. Soccer. Soccer. Football. The FIFA. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, yeah, so it... Uh, That's golf then. That's the something cup. I don't know. Whatever. Sorry. Go on. So we got Atlanta, Houston, LA, Mexico City, Miami, uh, Vancouver, Philadelphia. Um, so Vancouver's already got a Pride House sort of lined up. Uh, okay. They're still working on Toronto. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can't. They haven't, they haven't nailed down Toronto yet. But I'm like, Toronto's pretty gay. It is, but Toronto is also very last minute. Uh, it always feels disorganized and then you show up to an event and you're like, this looks fine. And it's just, they, they get competent people doing things at the last minute. That's the Mm -hmm. Toronto way. They also haven't nailed down a location yet for San Francisco, which is very gay. It is, but the, they're, the, the cost of everything in San Francisco has exploded since Silicon Valley set up there. Yeah. Well, my understanding is that there is currently only one, Hmm. Out professional level gay soccer player, mm-hmm. football player, okay. um, which really indicates that there's some room for improvement mm. because there's no way that with one in 10 people being gay, that out of the 48 teams worth of people, mm. <laughs> there is nobody else. Um, yeah, they reckon about 5.5 million people. You will and visit. I both know there's other people. They're just not out. Yeah. And yeah. it's it's... It's their business as to whether or not they choose to come out or not. Yeah, but when it's only one, yeah. it becomes an institutional question, yeah. for sure. All right, we will be back just after our next song, where we will actually end up talking about Saskatchewan. Uh, we are going to be going now to Sufjan Stevens, uh, Stefan Stevens. I, I attempted there. Uh, Genuflecting Ghost, you suggested this one. Stefan Stevens, yeah. He's... um. I don't know. He's just a really nice, uh, uh, classic sort of a uh, uh, Cat Stevens style um, singer songwriter. Mm-hmm. We'll be back just after this. Right. 
Welcome back to Can Queer, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. And I'm Sebastian. Now, to the thorny one. The thorny one. Absolutely. So, uh, on Friday, mm-hmm. the province of Saskatchewan uh, became one of the only times in Canadian history that it has rolled out the notwithstanding clause. Now, it's worth acknowledging that what this does is say, look... We know this law is mm-hmm. going to undermine the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, mm-hmm. uh, but sod it, we're going to do it anyway. I think this is the f- no, this is the fifth time in Canadian history it's been attempted, and the third time it succeeded, if mm-hmm. I remember correctly. Well, it's likely to be challenged. Okay. Um, at time of recording, no one's taken them to court yet. Every notwithstanding attempt in history has been challenged. Absolutely. Yeah. Generally speaking, the court score, look, I mean, the clause is there for us to butt out. Mm. If it was accurate and it was done properly, then maybe. Mm-hmm. There is other arguments here, look, you know, that maybe the notwithstanding clause where there are other rights that are being undermined as part of this. Maybe the right to privacy, the, mm. maybe the right to freedom of expression and yeah. what have you. Maybe there are other rights that can be challenged and this law will fall on other elements. Yeah. But how did we get here? So in August, the uh, Premier of Saskatchewan uh, responding to what has emerged as 14 letters 
uh, and and conversations from uh, his MLAs decided to roll out a parental rights policy. Mm-hmm. This does a number of things. A lot of things no one's going to disagree with. Uh, having access to your child's uh, educational record. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Right. But the big one that's causing contention is that a child cannot use their... A different name they have to use, or the teachers have to refer to them as their legal birth names or their names of record, mm-hmm. um, unless they explicitly get parental consent. Now, the general practice from mm-hmm. medical practitioners, from uh, schools, from support staff, from everybody else, is to take the lead of the child. If they want to go by Sam or Sammy instead of Samuel, you go by Sam or Sammy instead of Samuel. I I can think of a complication for this. I remember when I was in high school, uh, I was in the French immersion program, so most of my classmates were the exact same classmates in almost all of my classes. Yeah, yeah. And in that cohort, there were five Jennifers. Oh, Gen 1, Gen 2, Gen 3, Gen you 4. You better bet they had nicknames. And you better bet that the teachers learned those nicknames and the teachers used those nicknames. But which one was from the block? None of... They missed opportunity. Missed opportunity. Oh, one of them was from the block. <laughs> <laughs> now that I think about it, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. And then I remember when I was in primary school, I was in a class with three Chris's. Mm. So there, there was one of them got to be Chris, and the other one of them went by his last name. The third one just had a nickname, and the teacher used that nickname. Yeah. So they introduced a policy. That policy was immediately challenged okay. in the courts. Yeah. The King's Bench of uh, the court in Regina filed an injunction. The the bench, the judge agreed with the injunction, mm-hmm. saying, first and foremost, that Scott Moe, and specifically, actually, the Department of Education mm-hmm. in Saskatchewan, um, didn't talk to anybody. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. And they said there's no evidence that any consultations have happened. The The province of Saskatchewan have given no evidence that they've talked to anyone. Mm-hmm. Scott Moe, the Premier of Saskatchewan, said, look, look, I'm a member of the Legislative Assembly. Mm-hmm. I have talked to people in my riding. The other people in my political party have talked to people in their riding. Okay. And the judge's argument here is educational policy needs to be informed. Yeah, yeah, okay, fair enough, yeah. So the Canadian Association of Pediatricians have said the proposed changes is not in line with what the Canadian Association of Pediatricians believe, um, and it kind of goes on from there. Mm -hmm. However, judge says, look, no consultation, injunction, do a consultation, figure it out, get the evidence. You know, it's not a no, Mm -hmm. it's a... You know, do some homework here. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Scott Moe disagreed. Uh, Premier of Saskatchewan then recalled the legislation early, two weeks ahead of schedule, okay. to have an emergency session where a new parental rights bill was introduced, therefore introducing the policy as law and including the notwithstanding clause so that it can avoid an injunction in the courts. Okay. As a result of this, the Canadian Human uh, sorry, the Human Rights Commissioner for the province of Saskatchewan 
issued her resignation to the Premier of Saskatchewan, mm-hmm. noting that this is an attack on the rights of the child, um, and uh, very vehemently disagreed. I believe that 14 law professors at yeah. the University of Regina co-signed a letter saying that this is an abhorrent attack on citizens' rights mm-hmm. and use of the notwithstanding clause. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the government side, they were able to find one doctor... Mm-hmm. From the states, okay, okay, who agreed that social transition can cause pressure. Here's something I don't, I don't know if this is off topic, but I never understood why somebody would step down and resign. So the the, the human rights commissioner, when she steps down in protest, instead of staying and fighting, in my brain, all I can assume is that they're going to replace her with someone who agrees, which means she's just handing them the prize. Like, but stay also and fight. Like, it's the, okay to stay and disagree. Well, they had. The the Human Rights Commission of Saskatchewan had said, look, how we, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago mm. when we spoke with one of the country's leading experts on child and youth. Okay. And we brought up the idea of balancing rights and competing rights. Mm-hmm. And the role of the commission is to look at the rights of the parent yeah. and the rights of the child and see where they balance. Uh, for <laughs> our listeners' sake, most often we see this coming out where it's the right to freedom of religion mm. and right to... Um, Usually LGBTQ rights or freedom of expression butting up against other rights. Like there's there's a million different ways that one person's right to do something yeah, yeah, yeah. and another person's right to do something else. Journalism cl- versus privacy is a big one as well. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, they clash. And believe it or not, there are people who spend decades poring over the jurisprudence mm. and focused on that. And yeah. the Saskatchewan Commission said, look, we have a dozen experts on this, yeah. let us, you know, sit, we'll work on it, we'll find something that works for everybody, that balances all of these rights. Mm-hmm. Um, and, sc- and the answer was, emergency session, two weeks early, notwithstanding clause, boom, done. Not an issue anymore. Yeah, moving on. Yeah. So the idea of they can fight it, I think that battle was lost immediately. Yeah. So the, when at that point, the only option left is to walk away. And her point in the resignation letter is like, look, I have a trans son. And his success is because he was comfortable and supported in school. Mm-hmm. And she very much believes listening to teachers and others that that would not be the case now and she couldn't sit back and bear witness to what could be a more hostile environment for her son mm-hmm. or for her young son's younger friends that are going through the school next uh so yeah she resigned um when i okay my masters i did my masters in theoretical linguistics but i did it in a department that focused on um second language teaching pedagogy i was one of the few theoretical linguists in the department and so just by nature of the department that i was at i had to take courses on pedagogical theory and something that came up again and again and again were all the tension points that you have to follow or look at and take seriously when you're designing any teaching program because what a child wants for themselves, what a child needs, what a mm-hmm. parent wants for their child, what a parent needs for their child, what the teacher wants for the child, what the teacher needs for themselves as a professional, mm-hmm. and what society needs for a child to learn versus what society wants for a child to learn are all completely different. 
Mm-hmm. And you need to balance it. It's your basic, because, like, if you give the child what they want, they're just going, going to want ice cream for breakfast every day. But if you give them what they need, it could be something that the parents hate. Yeah. So yeah. It, it is a balancing point. You kind of have to make everyone a little bit happy and a little bit unhappy. And you, it depends on the direction that you go with. So some societies just focus on what does the child need to know to be a functioning member of society when they're an adult versus what does the child need to know in order to make them happy to be welcoming and friendly here? Like every school program will choose their own priorities because when you have conflicting things, in the end, there is no right answer. There's the answer that you choose to go with. We Mm -hmm. have decided our priority is whatever. Um, Some school systems are famous for, we don't care about your own individual happiness. We care about your ability to function as an adult in society. Yeah. Um, I know that they're, uh, just because I'm, I'm in a relationship with someone who's in the Netherlands, I know that that is the priority of the Netherlands. The Dutch do not care about your individual happiness. They care about su- the success of society. Canada really does seem to be focusing on the, the success of the individual child. And because we've chosen that priority, there's a whole bunch of other things that have fallen away. Uh, But the parents can vote. And there's more parents than there are teacher and children. Mm -hmm. So when they form a voting block, they get their their wants met. And all the other ones fall to the side. And it's kind of a a political game that education systems need to play. But I do wonder if this is the hill that the Conservatives want to die on. Because in the UK, I mentioned Manitoba, but in the UK there have been four by-elections. And the LGBT trans rights issue is a major talking point Mm -hmm. in the Conservative Party in Britain. And the Labour has smashed them in every by-election so far. Because they're saying... We're not going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about the cost of living crisis, yeah. the housing crisis, yeah. you know, the, the, the meat and potatoes issues that's yeah, yeah. actually causing, you know, the issues. I talked to you before about how instead of focusing on whether or not Sam and Muell can go by Sam, mm. we should be focusing on whether or not we can afford to feed Sam yeah, yeah, yeah. and whether or not there's a bus driver to get Sam to and from school. Like, yeah. these are... but. In Saskatchewan, the only solution now yeah. is to vote out the current Conservative Party. Yes. I don't think he is Conservative, actually. I think it's... Saskatchewan is that... Uh, the other, it's, a, it's got a different name. Uh, well, there, there's also a few pr- province-specific Conservative parties. Because at the federal level, you had three, I think, different Conservative parties who merged into one. The Saskatch- Saskatchewan Party. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and individual provinces have not all done that. Not all provinces have had, like, you know... The, the, the ref- rebrand. The for- the reformers, the conservatives, and the, I don't know, libertarians or whatever, all smushing together into one. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Uh, is it a winning political strategy for Scott Moe? Mm-hmm. We will just have to wait and see when a next election comes along. But for trans kids in Saskatchewan, as of the time that this law becomes enacted, mm-hmm. um, school is going to be a little bit different for Samuel. Mm-hmm. All right, that's all we've got time for today's show. We are going to be playing out with, uh, if I can find the name of the song here, uh, we are playing out with Arnie's Daughter by The Pairs. I have been Nick Smith. And I've been Sebastian. And thank you for listening. Annie's daughter is a redhead 
Dreaming everywhere but in her bed And she's level-headed Hates wearing dresses Avoids the crowd who tries to tell her where her mess is Annie's daughter isn't broken Somebody ought to tell her to her first grade class Cause they've been walking over her life She's been shattered into pieces that won't fall back